Good afternoon, and welcome to our session on security challenges in modern application uh, build and development pipeline. Uh, I'm Dave Frampton, uh, lead security solutions for Sumo Logic. I'll be joined in the presentation today by Olaf Stein, uh, security solutions architect lead for Sumo Logic as well. And then we have a longtime customer of Sumo uh, Genesis that'll be represented by their security lead, uh, Eric Cohen, uh, on stage here. So the, the goals of this session are to explore at a high level some challenges um, and some solution approaches to dealing with the new threat surface areas and security considerations that have been generated by rapid evolutions in the methodologies of uh, developing and deploying software. Um, we'll try to give a broad outline up front and then dig into some specific use cases and take a, a bit of a breadth and depth lens to look at individual systems and how we might approach and think about security use cases, but then also look horizontally across systems uh, and see what security implications there are for how that, um, that workflow will evolve. We'll try, for the, those of you in the audience who are um, fluent in security, we'll try to hopefully shed some light on some new use cases that you may not have seen before, or some observations on trends uh, as we've looked at you know, the thousands of Sumo customers that have approached uh, these problems. And for those of you that are not uh, fluent in security, we'll try to provide, you know, a general introduction to the types of security considerations that you need to start thinking about um, when you start evolving to a very kind of modern, um, rapid development lifecycle software development methodology. Uh, so hopefully we'll, we'll balance between, you know, the needs of the two groups uh, in the audience. If there's time at the end, we'll do maybe a brief Q&A, or as an alternate, we'll um, make ourselves available, all three of us, um, on the side of the room for the last 10 minutes in room, if we have time, or if not, um, out, in the, uh, out in the hallway. All right, so not meant to be a, a tutorial on modern build and uh, deployment pipelines, but just to set the table a little bit, what we're thinking about when we say um, modern application you know, build and, and pipeline is processes which generally involve continuous integration, continuous deployment, that generally involve the heavy leverage of the cloud, for the cloud, or in the cloud, um, heavy doses uh, of automation, um, and generally uh, some some amount of shift left uh, DevOps or even DevSecOps, where you're really trying uh, to move upstream uh, some of the operational and security considerations of deploying software. So at a, at a very broad level, that's kind of the environment that we're thinking about uh, when we're trying to articulate the specific security challenges uh, that arise from, from this type of model. So if we think about you know, the, the list of issues that come up when you move to this model, um, the first thing that jumps out is that it's a very distributed model. So we'll go through kind of some of the clusters and ecosystems of tools in the next couple of slides. But in general, you end up with tools which are no longer all consolidated um, in one place within a secure perimeter. You end up with a very um, fragmented, distributed uh, tool set, oftentimes you know, hosted in the cloud outside of you know, your domain of, of security control and sometimes even outside of your domain of security uh, visibility. As I said, it's outside the perimeter, and you can call the new perimeter the user, you can call it the application, there's probably many things you could call it, but clearly there isn't a well-defined um, kind of set of security 
uh, topologies and considerations and models that have been well iterated um, over time. What you have is a much more fluid and dynamic environment that changes rapidly, new tools evolving, coming in and out, being swapped out. Um, and this provides um, some serious challenges for security visibility, for monitoring, for access control. Um, in general, you have to think about you know, all the layers of security. Who has access to these tools? How is data sent to and from? What are, what are the security and compliance requirements of data that might reside in some of these tools? Um, and that just gets you to step one. Beyond that, you have to think about how to integrate all these tool sets you know, together in a cohesive um, you know, and visible defense. Um, thinking about the modern uh, application structure, uh, thinking about the modular development in microservices, thinking about transient instances as applications get built and then as they go into runtime, um, and then how in many cases applications, you know, chain together calls to other applications, um, you know, in, in their runtime. All of this creates a whole new set of threat surface areas that you have to think about. And it's no longer kind of the, the list of well-honed you know, SIM rules that applied to the, the legacy infrastructure. Now you're sort of in the application you know, layers and the cloud stack layers, thinking about all the different nooks and crannies and opportunities uh, for attackers to, to, to get in. Um, it should be obvious that this um, context that you would collect from all this environment is, is very diverse. Um, you know, given its nature, uh, but it's also fragmented in the sense that the industry structure is evolving pretty rapidly, so tools are coming in and out. You know, there's sort of a, uh, there's not sort of the top three in each category that you would see in a more mature ecosystem, so there tends to be a, a good deal of fragmentation that just comes from that, um, that churn. Getting all this uh, data together, uh, the policies together, um, and certainly you know, the, the sort of correlations and analytics that you would want to do together in one place is a real challenge. Um, you know, in some cases, you have very limited visibility into these tools. In other cases, the type of visibility that you can get is very difficult you know, to reconcile with some of the other sources and, and context. So it, it provides kind of a whole other sort of data grooming challenge from a, a security uh, perspective. Oftentimes, um, these sorts of pipelines are generally um, applied to production use cases where an application is going to be internet facing um, and maybe in a way that it previously wasn't. Like with digital transformation, um, as people sort of move from legacy models of, of delivery and sharing and collaboration. And this just leads to an explosion in the amount of machine data that's created uh, by all of these applications in their runtime. Um, and so there, there's just a, an already overstrapped security data avalanche challenge that gets made even you know, doubly worse as you start migrating more and more to these, uh, these type of, of models. And then finally, we alluded to up front, you know, there's a, a big trend in trying to shift some of the um, security uh, considerations upstream as the applications are developed, um, you know, in terms of, you know, analyzing the code, in terms of instrumenting the code, in terms of, you know, checklisting, um, you know, upstream components that are used in the code, uh, and so on. And all of this uh, has combined with the DevOps trend to just increase the cycle time pretty rapidly for um, how often these applications are updated and then released, you know, ideally even down to, to weeks and days as opposed to the old kind of months and, and quarters. So all of these things, you know, take an already pretty challenging security problem and add some significant uh, co complexity to it. 
So double-clicking a little bit on the ecosystem of the tools that are typically involved in this, I mean, if you just look at, okay, we're going to build, you know, deploy, and then run, you can break down in each of those categories, there are three or four subcategories, and there are whole ecosystems of, of tools that participate in each of those. You can easily get, uh, you know, dozens of tools, um, some of which are provided by, you know, relatively new companies. Right, which may not have the maturity of logging and the maturity of access control that, that you might expect you know, from, from more mature offers. So this tool sprawl provides um, a significant challenge. Certainly, you know, you're Noah's arcing in a lot of these categories, so you're not going to have every you know, vendor on this list, but you're going to end up you know, picking from each of these buckets, and by the time you're finished, you're going to end up with an entire list of tools that maybe five years ago you, know, you didn't have to worry about from, from a security perspective. And the last piece of the challenge is the people in the process aspect of it. I mean, the technology and the tools always gets a lot of attention, as it should. It's your area of most you know, change and, and dramatic impact. Uh, but the people in process changes that accompany this new way of developing and deploying software um, are fairly significant. There's you know, a way to think about it is on the left part of the screen, there, there, there are roles that are typically involved um, in the workflow. And on the right side, there are tasks or functions that they do. And there's just much more of a many-to-many -many mapping in these type of processes. Everybody does a little bit of security. Everybody does a little bit of operations. Each of the functions on the right oftentimes involves several different roles on the left and so on, and all the combinations um, of, of that. So this has you know, some, some implications. I mean, you end up with a lot of layer eight considerations you know, the, the differences in organizational maturity and skill levels and processes across these different groups, you know, all of that has to be, you know, taken into, into consideration um, as you try to put in place, you know, a, a security um, posture and a way to update security uh, across these workflows and, and the organization. So admiring the problem thus, so we've, we've talked about sort of three components, you know, of it. And you know, if we look out at our customer base and how they're approaching this migration, and the vast majority of Sumo's customers are at some stage in this migration, many pretty forward-leaning um, in it who do this you know, in and for the, the cloud, we see some patterns emerging uh, in the way that they're approaching the problem or the ways uh, that seem to be effective looking across multiple um, customers. And so sort of close with this piece before we hand off to Olaf to talk more concretely about some very specific use cases in each of these areas. But quickly, the, the first one is probably the most significant, and that's the democratization of, of security, uh, not just the analytics, but also the, the workflow um, and, and the shared data underneath it. Um, typically, in modern security workflows, there's essential participation, uh, whether it's providing you know, context that no one else has, whether it's providing access to a tool or data that you know, the traditional SOC can't. Um, in general, there's much more of a zigzag workflow across all the different um, aspects of IT, um, not just a, a group of kind of vertically siloed you know, security people or even people just working in, inside of a, an isolated SOC. Um, and that, that turns out to be absolutely essential um, in dealing with some of these workflows. These use cases are just not even solvable. I mean, to investigate a threat, to prioritize a threat, to determine if something is a false positive, to figure out a correlation rule, uh, there's just no way that, you know, three people sitting in, in a, a siloed SOC are actually going to figure that out at any pace that, uh, that, that makes sense. So first big sort of 
you know, true north is, is democratization of, of, of security. And that's broader than just this upstream code analysis uh, and testing. This is the entire sort of security function, including a lot of the things that uh, the SOC has done, done previously. The second piece is the need to bring most of the emphasis and visibility and monitoring off of the, the infrastructure layer where it's largely been. Um, you know, many people estimate about 90% of, of their security attention is directed to the infrastructure layer, but they observe they, they feel like most of their risk uh, is actually in the application and cloud stacks now. This is where the attackers are going. Um, a lot of that infrastructure risk has been kind of pooled and shared by you know, providers like AWS. Um, and so the attackers are now going into the surface areas you know, that are up the stack. Um, and it's really clear that a lot of the traditional security tools and policies and procedures have to be recast in that, um, in that light to go up that stack um, as well to be able to, to have equal effectiveness. The third component is the need to accelerate the workflow. I mean, a lot of this is all about automation and certainly you should automate wherever you can. And there's a good deal that you still can't automate and as you move to these modern application, you know, build and deployment models, the, the volume of data, uh, you know, goes higher, and then your time to analyze it and react goes lower, and that's already against a, a pretty difficult problem of keeping up with that balance in, in the old model. So there's really a call to innovate um, in those workflows that you can't yet automate. You know, how to make um, people and machines come to conclusion, you know, much more rapidly than they can, you know, with current generation tools. And we see a lot of productive experimentation. We see innovations in technology. We see innovations in workflow, so innovations in how people manage skill sets within their organization uh, to really try to get, um, you know, at the pace that's going to keep up with the, the velocity that these apps are, are developed and, and deployed. The last piece is a, a little bit of a, new, a newer trend. This is the, the sort of need to connect the very upstream application security that's concerned with inspecting code for vulnerabilities um, and checking you know, upstream contributing components and instrumentation within the code. All of those upstream functions typically are ships in the night with the downstream functions of the security operations teams that are actually monitoring the applications as they're deployed you know, in runtime in the wild to see if they've been compromised or attacked. Right? And what obviously, you know, the ideal system is where you would have a, a closed loop where those teams would not only collaborate, but you would automate in some ways the things that you're worried about as vulnerabilities in the application as it's built, then get, you know, driven all the way downstream into the methodologies for how, you know, the, the applications are monitored, the analytics that are done on them to see if there's potentially an indicator of compromise or, or, or they're a threat. So we see, you know, it's a, it definitely a daunting and challenging problem, but we see a lot of productive innovation, um, you know, within our customer base looking at this. And at this uh, point, I'll ask Olaf to come up and click down one level and talk through some use cases, both the depth of these individual uh, categories of systems, but also the breadth of how we uh, connect the dots across them. Yeah, thanks, Dave. So. Uh, I want to talk a little bit uh, about the challenges um, when, when talking about monitoring um, some of uh, the activity on the build pipeline. And I'm specifically talking about the tools and the infrastructure um, that you guys are using and not so much uh, like the hardening of the infrastructure or, or, or general application, uh, application security. So when you look at this rather simplified um, uh, slide here, 
right? A lot simpler than what Dave showed earlier. Um, one thing that pops up, and uh, he already mentioned the word fragmentation, right? What we see uh, is fragmentation on, uh, in basically two different places. Uh, on a technical level, you have all these tools, um, lots of them you're consuming as a service, right? Some of it you may host yourself, either uh, you know, in, your, uh, uh, in your own data centers or, 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 or in AWS, for example. Um, but at the end of the day, all these different tools that do all these different things um, uh, in order for you to push uh, your application out to production at the end of the day, each of them can be thought of as their own perimeter, uh, as their own threat surface, because they exist uh, in isolation of all the other stuff that you have uh, uh, very often. Adding complexity um, to this is that these tools can be used in many different ways uh, uh, by you. Um, also adding complexity is the way they interact with each other, uh, a lot of different permutations and options there. And then, uh, and they've already alluded to this as well, these tools change at a very rapid pace. Um, so it's not that you have the same um, set of tools for a long um, amount of time. Um, and then there's uh, organizational fragmentation. These tools may have different owners and operators. Um, you know, this may be different teams, it's, it's not always gonna be the same team. Um, and at the end of the day, a lot of the contextual knowledge about how these tools are used resides within those teams that own and operate these tools, and your traditional security operation may not have enough of that context uh, to actually make um, good decisions based on, uh, on, on what they see uh, in terms of activity on those tools. So that's on an individual tool level, uh, or, or, or infrastructure, I, 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 I grouped that in there. Of course, these tools don't exist uh, in a silo, right? Ultimately, all of this exists with, within some corporate setting. There's other tools uh, from a, uh, uh, other assets from a corporate perspective or from a security perspective um, that ultimately play a role in all of this as well. They may not be directly tied to the application you're building, um, but all of this uh, exists in a, larger, in a larger corporate ecosystem. Um, and that has to be taken into account um, from a monitoring perspective here as well. So before we go, um, um, into some into some concepts of, uh, and, and, and use cases. I want to talk real quick about risk here, uh, for those of us uh, or, or of you that are not necessarily um, uh, living and breathing security every day. Um, of course, there's many many risks um, uh, of your infrastructure being compromised, sort of in order of how bad it is. If you start leaking, you know, data from your customers, uh, as an example. Um, you know, uh, and the public apology that follows thereafter. Um, that's, of course, uh, something everybody wants to avoid. Um, you could potentially be losing intellectual property, uh, be it in the form of source code um, or, 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 or any, other, uh, any other form. Your infrastructure could be used for unintended purposes, right? This may not be something uh, that becomes totally public, um, but that's, uh, uh, of course, something um, that you want to keep in mind. You may get in trouble with your auditors um, if, some of these, if, uh, if some of these things happen um, in your environment. And at the very least, um, you know, if an attacker finds a nice landing spot inside your environment, it's going to make it easier potentially uh, to expand from there than having to come in from the outside. So what are some of the things that we see people uh, looking at um, 
on, on their individual tools uh, and, and on their infrastructure. On a very high level, you could start looking at things uh, like anomalous behavior by users uh, or access keys, right? Is, is a user doing something for the first time? Um, or is he, um, uh, as an example, right? Um, we could look at uh, anomalous behavior by origin. This could be as simple as you detecting you know, activity on your AWS account from outside of the US. If you don't have any users outside of the US, um, that may be a concern or something worth looking into. Of course, if you, uh, uh, if you are a, a global organization with a distributed workforce, this can become much more nuanced than that, um, but that's just a simple example. Same thing with timing. Um, Oftentimes, um, we can do analysis, especially with levels of automation like we have them today. There's fairly predictable patterns oftentimes, um, and we can leverage those patterns to detect things that fall outside of them. This could be as simple as, uh, you know, the old uh, after, uh, after hours activity. Um, I'm taking this further, you know, anything that happens uh, outside of deployment windows or automation schedules may be worth, uh, may be worth looking at. And then, of course, um, you know, the, 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 the same old activity from known bad actors. Uh, if you're seeing um, any activity from, say, IP addresses that are um, known bad, then that is probably something worth investigating further and potentially blocking. Um, from an organizational perspective, this is where the tricky part comes in. Who should be doing all of this, right? Historically, this was, there was a security team um, or a SOC that would do a lot of this monitoring. Uh, I think nowadays we're seeing a shift um, into this responsibility, moving back into the teams that own and then operate these tools, be it an IT team, a DevOps team, uh, or anything of that nature. And the main reason for that is, again, is, uh, it's all about context. Um, a, a corporate security function may not have or, or probably does not have a, a, the contextual knowledge to interpret um, the data that these systems spit out um, and properly without either causing way too many false positives or missing things um, you know, because of lack of context. So outside of um, general indicators, there's also a few other things that we typically recommend looking for more from a housekeeping perspective. So these are not necessarily items uh, that immediately raise a red flag, um, but they are worth keeping an eye on um, in general um, as well as uh, from a baselining perspective, there's some good information here um, to provide additional context. We group these into four different sort of high-level events. The first one is around authentication, right? I want to have a handle on who is authenticating to my systems. Um, um, if nothing else, I can potentially clean up users that haven't logged in in a while or I can recycle um, older credentials, right? Just housekeeping items um, and from that perspective. A privileged activity, that's a second, uh, a second um, uh, big topic. This is not as simple as it used to be, where you would just look for root activity on a Linux box, right? It's a lot more nuanced nowadays. Uh, but oftentimes, it still makes sense to put in uh, the thought about seeing you know, what users have access to what data or to which systems, for example, and keep a closer eye um, you know, on your crown jewels versus some lower uh, like sandbox environment or whatnot. Account management events, right? What users, groups, policies, whatever it may be, is being created, uh, something that you ultimately probably want to keep an eye on um, uh, in general. 
And then last but not least, system and configuration changes, anything that affects the security of your systems um, and or the operational um, viability, I guess, um, is something that's worth looking at. This could be as simple as you know, finding security groups um, that are being created that permit more than they should, or somebody turns off logging on your CloudTrail, right? All things that you would want to know about and you would want to look for. Same here as before. This probably is mostly uh, a task for somebody who has all the context, who uses these tools every day, um, who can interpret the information that we or the findings um, um, the proper way. Um, all of that said, um, we still see, um, you know, a reason for a more traditional, like corporate security um, team or a SOC um, to actually exist. Because ultimately, somebody has to look at all of this stuff holistically across the board, right? Um, you know, we want to put one and one together. Um, what may be considered barely noise um, on an individual system, um, if you put it together with activity from other systems, uh, it, may, uh, it may turn into a signal rather quickly, right? So um, two yellows make a red or don't necessarily make a red, I guess. Um, so for example, if you're just seeing a, a, a heightened amount of, 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 of failed authentication activity, on an individual tool, you probably wouldn't, wouldn't worry about it too much. But if you're seeing it across your tools and the volume gets larger, um, and you can correlate these events, you know, either by timing or by where they originated from, and you can sort of tie them together by that, uh, then that may be something worth looking into. It may just mean that somebody's trying harder uh, than usual to get in, right? And you can take the proper measures um, um, and to block such activity from there, for example. We also like to look at, at sequences. Um, everything is automated, right? Everything has patterns, like I already said. Um, if we find things that happen, you know, uh, out of order, uh, uh, in which they normally occur, or things that happen uh, without uh, the events that normally precede and follow them, then that is something worth looking into. Could be an operational issue, but still uh, better safe than sorry at the end of the day. Um, so those are just some, uh, um, some other examples. And then, of course, if you look at the build pipeline by itself, um, you know, we would want to look at that, but as I said, this doesn't normally exist in a silo. So whatever other um, corporate tools you have, um, you want to um, take those into the equation, and this again falls more um, on the corporate security team or SOC. Um, th this could be um, uh, any, any security tool, scanners, uh, or whatever you're doing, uh, um, code inspection, as they've mentioned. But it could also be looking at your O365 or Salesforce logs or your perimeter firewalls, right? An attacker is not going to just pick one spot um, and try to come in there. They're going to, if they really try, uh, you're going to see signals um, across multiple tools. And ultimately, uh, it needs to be somebody's responsibility to put all of that, um, all of that back together, because individually, not all of them um, may be considered a signal. So again, the who and the how, um, this falls back on, the, uh, on your more traditional um, um, security team uh, or SOC. Um, and now I'm going to pass it on to Eric. Thank you. I hit the right button, good. So uh, at Genesis, we do everything with DevSecOps. 
Uh, everything is automated that we can. Uh, we're still automating. Uh, our you know, goal is to automate ourselves out of a job in security. Uh, we, we hope to get there. Uh, so just to get an idea of where we've come from, uh, when I started uh, with what became this particular company, we were a startup, and I think I was employee number 34 or 35. Uh, to give you an idea where we're at now, uh, we're at, uh, I think, 7,021 uh, EC2 instances. Uh, we've, we've gotten a little, bit, a little big. Uh, 200 microservices. Uh, we're totally knockless, we're sockless, uh, and we run in immutable infrastructure. So everything in production is unchanged in production. We make zero changes. If anything has to be fixed because something is broken, we fix it in development and we push the change out to production. The only thing that we can do in production is troubleshooting to find out what the issue might be. Uh, otherwise, that's it. There can be no other change. There can be no changes in production, not even a security group rule. Everything is done by code and it's done starting in development, pushed back up to production. We're partnered with our developers and with our DevOps. So our security team, it, it's not large. We, we have four uh, security operations on call. Uh, run all of this, and we're able to do that because we're partners with our developers and with our DevOps. Things don't sit around very much. As you can tell, we do a lot of deployments every week, and the number down at the end is our deployments to production. So that's a lot of deployments to production. One of the reasons that's so high is that we don't patch anything. People look shocked, especially auditors, when you say, oh, we don't patch anything. And that, that's a great way to get an auditor's attention is tell them you don't patch anything and you're in security. But the real answer is we don't patch anything in production because that is an immutable environment. What we do is, between us and DevOps, is there is a new base AMI produced every couple of weeks and the rule is everything in production has to be replaced within 30 days. So it can't be more than 30 days old. So everything in production is rebuilt on new base AMIs that are less than 30 days old. So that gives us a couple of things. One, we have a patched environment. So we're meeting our uh, compliance requirements for BCI, HIPAA, all those different requirements that we live for you know, in compliance. Uh, the other thing it gives us is, you know, and those who are in security know this, if you patch a server and someone's already compromised it, most likely they're going to retain the foothold that they had. They used whatever vulnerability was on there to get on the server, put their foothold in place, and now you've gone ahead behind them and patched it, that hole is gone, but they've already put their foothold in. They maintain their hold. And there are literally you know, places I know of in the past that patch servers and people have had footholds on them for a couple of years, even though the servers are fully patched. In this situation, that can't occur because that instance is literally destroyed after load balancing to a new instance. So they, they've, they've lost that. This is our basic start of our build pipeline. We're going to build on this slide just a little bit, but 
You go from your, your repo. You can use any repo you want, really. Uh, and in our case, we have this base AMI. And uh, we're using uh, Amazon Linux. And we've taken the Amazon Linux. Uh, it's got the basic services that we need on it. DevOps has put the tools that they need in an Ansible playbook that runs on it. Security's put the tools they need on it. So we have, you know, our, we're using Threat Stack, and we've got some other tools that we've put on it. And we've gotten a little fancy with our Ansible playbook so that everything is done by region. You know, we're in that 5 AWS region, so everything knows what environment it's in, whether it's a development, production, test, and it knows what, you know, whether it's in uh, Ireland or Sydney or Japan. And everything's configured correctly based on the playbook. And then the devs build their services with their playbooks that launch on that base. And they build it, it goes in development, they get to start working on it. Everything's great. We don't have to worry if a developer who's building a new service remembers to add our tools to it. So in security, we're not sitting there saying, oh, do they remember to put security tools on it? They don't have to, they're building off the base AMI. We know they've got the latest patches. We know they're using the right version of Linux. And they've got all the DevOps and security tools. So here we're expanding it out a little bit more. And we're looking at our security workflow. So it's now been created. And we've got a looks like a scanning process in here. And that's exactly what it is. When the devs kick off their build, so they've built their service AMI on top of the base AMI, and it launches and produces a service AMI into development. And the developers can start doing their testing to make sure it works like they want it to. Well, at the same time, CloudWatch is going to give off an event that says, hey, a new AMI has just launched. Well, we're polling for that topic to come up, and we're going to launch a clone of that instance on a spot instance, so it's cheap. And we're going to run AWS Inspector against it so that we can do a security scan of the instance that they just built. And we're going to publish that into a centralized reporting that our DevOps team built. And this centralized reporting is really cool because it's got everything about that service AMI in it. So it has you know, all the JIRA tickets, the Jenkins jobs, uh, it's got everything about the life of that service AMI in a centralized console that everybody can get to. So the scan results are now there. The security team can see it. What's more important, the developers can see it. So as soon as, the, as, soon as they built their, the first time that they've built their service, not only do they get to start looking at their service to see if it does what they want, they get to see, oh, I may have these issues that I need to fix long before it comes to security and we say, hey guys, you got, you got some issues here. They have that power themselves. They can already look at that and say, okay, I may have something to fix here. We originally wrote that uh, with Nessus, as a matter of fact, uh, and then Amazon came out with AWS Inspector, so we were able to migrate that over to Inspector. Now that same orchestration tool actually works across our accounts. So uh, we happen to use a different account for development, test, production. And this tool works across all the accounts. 
So developer will, will kick off the deploy. It may fail. It may, it may be successful. There's a lot of reasons for that, and we could spend a lot of time going over the logic on why something fails or, or doesn't fail. You know, what's a su successful deploy? What meets the gate? What doesn't meet the gate? There's a lot of scenarios. But assuming it deploys, it's going to go through integration testing, which is a set of QA tests that were already built, and it goes through all the QA testing. Uh, we've got our security test that's going to go in there. And then they can be promoted. Uh, we can promote them to test. Um, and they can go in the uh, testing environment for additional testing. Now, here we can say, oh, you can go right to prod. And all the compliance people in the room are going to go, wait a minute, you can't go right to prod, uh, which is an excellent point. You can't go right to prod, and that's going to be in the next slide. So here's a little more about how it actually works. So we're going through our pass fail. Let's say we, fa we, we pass. We're doing our security audit tools. Uh, we're gathering all the information about the reporting. Uh, and that's all being stored in a central location. It's getting all the integration testing. Everything's looking good. And the developers want this to go to production. part we were missing was change management. Everybody's got to deal with change management. So here, in the centralized reporting, we automated change management as well. I'm taking the broad we because DevOps did this. Security didn't. Uh, so they, what they put into this centralized reporting was a simple click. The developer can click, I want to push this to production. It generates a change management ticket, which is in the JIRA workflow. The change management ticket is populated with everything they need to know, or the change approvers need to know. You know, here's the applicable JIRA tickets, here's the Jenkins job showing the integration testing, uh, here's the security testing that was done. Everything that's needed to know for the change to be approved. And this is really the only point now where a human is still required. So at this point, a human has to come in and actually go, Okay, the change is approved. And then it can go to production. And we're actually working on automating that. So we're working now to figure out a way to automate that and still be compliant, still have a PCI auditor or a uh, you know, SOC 2 auditor say, yeah, okay, that still works and meets the change management requirements. But we're working on that one. So we've talked about our build pipeline, and a lot of this talk is about monitoring. We do a lot of monitoring, and you would think that uh, we would get some monitoring fatigue because there's only four people in the security operations. Uh, we really don't. So we're monitoring for a lot of things, and you can see here, you know, we're looking at you know, is anybody trying to log in with root? And that's root for both AWS root in the console or for root login on an EC2 instance. Both of those things are going to raise a canary. We want to know about it. It's going to raise a page. Uh, open security groups. That's a big one. And we've gotten very granular with Sumo Logic to specify exactly what we expect in security groups, what are allowed, and what 
uh, and outside of those bounds, we're going to get an alert. Uh, failed AWS login attempts, this is all CloudTrail again. We, you can, we can filter for it in Sumo and get, get alerts based on it. Uh, we have dashboards built for our instance age. Remember we talked about we don't allow instances over 30 days. We need a way to, a way to track that. So we've got that set up with dashboards. Uh, we're also tracking our S3 bucket permissions. So there's a lot that we have set up uh, in addition to these that uh, just allow us to use automation and uh, granular reporting to let us know the things that we want to know without burning out our team with audit fatigue. There's two sides to that coin is then you worry about, okay, well, what if somebody's doing something really low and slow so they can get past your, whatever they figured out your audit uh, thresholds are. So we manually review also. So every day we're going through and we're doing that look of what looks odd. What's, what's a pattern that we're, that we're seeing in a manual review of our logs. So we have our automated and we have our manual review of logs uh, that you know, helps us, one, avoid, avoid the fatigue of, of alerts all the time, but also to look for those things that stand out. Oops, did I go backwards? Oh, here it is, no, I didn't. Uh, this is another alert with another tool. Now, this is looking at the EC2 instance itself. Again, this is an immutable architecture. We don't expect certain commands to happen in an immutable architecture, especially, you know, this is looking at Linux because we're entirely Linux-based. These commands normally will not be seen in this architecture. So if somebody malicious gets onto your box, the first thing they're going to want to do is, who am I to see, you know, do I have root? <laughs> uh, or what level do I have? Uh, and there's other commands. There's a lot more than I've got listed here, but there's a lot of commands they're going to do uh, that shouldn't happen in a production environment. There are also times when those commands are used in troubleshooting. So you will see a curl because somebody needed to get a log. So, and uh, any one of those will trigger a page alert. So that will page a security engineer. And you'd think that would cause us a lot of uh, alert fatigue, but it doesn't because our developers and DevOps are really used to the fact that if they do something like that, they'll get a call from us immediately. So uh, they're you know, really good about saying to us, hey, I'm going to get on this box. I need to do X before they do it. And they'll let us know what's going on. Because if not, they know that security engineer is going to get paged at 2 in the morning and call them up and say, hey, what's going on? Uh, you know, that's, that's what we have to do to make sure that it's not malicious. So we talk about you know, the kinds of things we look at. We look at, you know, it's, it's a real, you know, I think someone mentioned depth and breadth before. And it really is. We look at a wide range of things. So this is just one dashboard that also alerts if you hit the thresholds that is looking at Durbuster. Someone's running Durbuster against uh, our public-facing servers. We have a lot of these set up for different things that you would encounter on a public-facing server. Spikes like this, there's a certain amount of traffic you would expect, and then there's a traffic that goes over a threshold, and these are thresholds that you'll see. 
or that the we'll see that show us, hey, someone's doing a recon attack on us. We have three levels of notifications. So we have uh, a page alert. Something's happening that one of our engineer, security engineers needs to, to be no, notified of right away. That's a page alert. It pages the security engineer. If the security engineer doesn't respond and act that alert within 15 minutes, it pages me. So that one, you know, those are the important, you know, we got to drop now and figure out what's going on alerts. Then we have an email alert. It's less important, but people need to put eyes on it. It goes to the entire security team, not just operations, but everybody in security and compliance gets that alert. And then we have the daily alerts. We've got a daily list of these things happened or these things didn't happen. It comes out every morning on a variety of subjects that we put into Sumo Logic and said, we want to know about these things. And it could be failed logins. Um, we, we even have one for new accounts just so we can track the, the new uh, customers that we've gotten. So we, we've set all, all that up through uh, Sumo just to let us know what's going on. These are just a couple of them, you know, ACL changes. Those are pretty basic. Some of them that are less basic are security group changes. If somebody changes a security group to uh, open to the world, that's going to get a page. Uh, we've gotten a lot granular than that. So the security group changes actually are very granular to things that we allow and don't allow. And it depends on whether it's public facing, non-public facing. We have very strict egress and egress rules, ingress and egress rules. And if they aren't uh, within that range, then they'll generate a page. All right, Dave, I think you're back up again. Right. Thank you much, Eric. I, I think Genesis embodies most of the practices we were talking about earlier with the presentation. I think as you can see from the outline of the knowledge process and the security you know, procedures they put in place, they democratize security analytics across the various groups. You know, they're looking deeply at the application in cloud stacks. I mean, somewhat by necessity, they live there, but they're, they're fluent there. Um, they invest a lot in the workflow uh, between their analytics um, and their people, and they've definitely closed the loop um, with a lot of the upstream security uh, that's not the application layer with some of the downstream monitoring that they do, and they use a lot of effective dashboards to do that. So it's, it's a great, great case study. So hopefully you got a sense of you know, the sort of the big picture of how this evolution and the application build pipeline uh, that companies like Genesis are, have moved towards and, and many people are in the process of moving towards creates kind of a security landscape, some new challenges and things to think about. Hopefully we've given you some sense of what some of those concrete use cases are and what some of the best practices are uh, in terms of ap approaching those problems. Um, what we'll do at this point, just given the, the time of day here, is we still have the room available for another 10 minutes. So what we'll do is bring the formal session uh, to a close, and then the three of us will be over here on my right here, available um, to have further discussion, take questions, um, and the like. Um, so we'll start that now, and for the rest of you, um, enjoy the rest of your day, and thank you for coming to this session. <laughs>